All right, everybody. The moment is here. The time is now. We are just over one week into this World Cup of a lot of things. World Cup of blood, of slavery, of death, of so many distractions. But it's a World Cup nonetheless. There is some soccer involved in all of that blood, death, and slavery. There's some soccer involved. There's some chicanery involved. There's a whole host of things. We've seen two U.S. performances. We'll talk in depth about those and everything else. But we are on the eve, with tonight being Monday, November 28th, the eve of the final group stage game for the United States of America coming up against Iran, win or go home. We'll dive into that and everything else. But first... To the byline. It's in, it's an up goal! It's a gift! Oh, it's almost done well to get that in because he's ahead of the near post. It's almost behind him. Sticks his left leg out. It almost hits his heel. It goes straight into the bottom of the corner. Bottom corner of the net. Gets ahead of the ball. It's the inside of his car. I would be amiss if we didn't start the uh, kind of the group stage check-in podcast without first addressing the I feel speech. <laughs> Eric, you want to uh, go into a little more detail on it? Yeah. So um, right before basically the start of the, the, the you know, I almost called it the Corrupt World Cup, the, the Qatar World Cup, uh, Gianni Infantino, the president of FIFA, gave, honestly, Donnie, one of the most jaw-dropping speeches I have ever even seen clips of in my entire life. I'll just throw out some quotes for a minute. Today, I feel gay, which somehow was the most homophobic thing I've ever heard. Also, I'm pretty sure that means he has to be arrested by Qatar. (laughs) Today, I feel migrant worker. And, and, you know, so he's basically saying he feels all of these different persecuted groups, specifically ultra-persecuted in Qatar. Also, sorry. And then ties that all in to, like, how he can relate to these groups who are being persecuted in a country he helped put the World Cup in by saying that he was redheaded and freckled, and that's the same thing. He was bullied for being a ginger, and that's how he can feel in in step with all these incredibly persecuted groups of what the what it was one of the most outrageous things i have ever heard and the only good that's come out of it has been all of like the social media memes related to it (laughs) and like different videos and like tiktoks and it's like you know like one of my favorite ones i saw would be like it's like you know two guys like when when two guys hit when two friends are walking and their hands brush and then it's like he goes today i feel gay <laughs> like that's the and you have to laugh at that to not like cry because presumably he this was focus grouped or at least talked about with some of his lackeys 
and they all thought that this was a good idea. Nobody in the room said that this was the worst idea of all time. Well, Donnie, they were all still too busy counting the bags of money from the Qataris. So I'm sure when he was like, I wrote the speech up, they're just like, yes, I love this so much. Not realizing that they're talking about their individual, you know, millions, thousands, billions, gazillion dollars that they've all taken from this. And then that led us right into the opening ceremony before the um, the first match of the World Cup. And the opening ceremony, oh man, that just was weird. Can, was, I, can, I, can I confess? Yeah, you didn't watch it, did you? I didn't watch it. I watched it. Because it's just like, I felt like I had to watch it. I didn't enjoy watching it. Um, Morgan Freeman, I guess, had to get... Was it, I don't know what, I don't know how he's starting for money, but I guess Homeboy had to get the bag. Can I tell you something there? Yes, please. Many don't remember this, but when the Qatar World Cup... When the, when the 2022 World Cup was awarded to Qatar 12 years ago, the final, like opportunity for the the bidding nations to kind of make their final case um representatives from the different countries came up and gave like a speech and a presentation and morgan freeman was part of the delegation that represented the united states and according to all reports he absolutely bombed the speech absolutely bombed it horribly and for him to be getting the bag from this thing kind of makes you wonder how early has he been on the payroll for this Qatar World Cup? Bro, he was on the payroll for the Qatar World Cup when he bombed that speech for the United States you're talking about. Let's that, be that, real. That's this, my point. Yeah, that was, that, was I, a, that was a facetious question there. Yeah, and I'll say this. you <laughs> Admire is not the right word, but you have to at least appreciate Qatar's um, commitment to the long con there. Jesus. For sure. Um, so yeah, uh, the, the mascot of the World Cup being the flying turban, and I know Qatar, like, had a hand in that, so I guess it's not racist, but (laughs) it feels so racist to have this flying turban slash carpet. Especially because at the end of the day, this was a decision made by an organization based out of Switzerland, (laughs) you know, it's just like, yeah, (laughs) like, it, and then the other bad, you know, the other, like, thing that we have to mention and it's one of those like if you don't laugh at it then all you have to do is cry but you know back in april when the mascot was announced and debuted the internet ran amok with it looks more like the ghost of the dead migrant workers than it does necessarily what they're because it's, it's anthropomorphic it kind of has a cast with a friendly ghost look yes it's it's, it's not great that they're chosen anthropomorphic you know symbol can easily be seen to be the spirit of a deceased person it's a tough look when you've killed thousands of people yeah yeah um then that gets us into fox's coverage of this which has just been abysmal compared to broadcasts around the world yeah so that's just been obviously they're ignoring all of the um major issues which we have mentioned ad nauseum on this podcast they, not a single uh, like person on broadcast is commenting or mentioning the stadium capacities, um, which from a lot of you know boots on the ground reporting, it feels like a lot of games are, are half empty. 
Um, a lot of, you know, both of the Qatar games so far, Qatar fans left at halftime, did not come back. Um, there have been some very loud and, you know, pretty, I think, uh, exciting sounding individual game atmospheres, but overall it seems pretty, pretty, pretty mid, if I'm using that word correctly for the kids out there. You are, as the representative of the kids, you are using our word correctly. Gen Z gang, shout out. Um... Well, yeah, and you know, you don't even need boots on the ground to know the stadiums are half full. You just have to watch the fucking game, and you can tell. Yeah, but like, they don't do a lot of like wide pan shots. Have For you a good reason. That? You, 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 you see individual close ups. You know, shout out to um, the, the the the. There's something about international soccer where there's there's at least one cameraman who's always looking for like the relatively attractive women in in the stands. No, it's the uh, same dude. He's been horny for fifty years. <laughs> he's a it's, hor- Must- it's actually Burt Musburger. Uh, this is where <laughs> this is what he does when he's not fawning over that Catherine Webb, uh, that that girlfriend uh, from the Alabama Auburn game a couple years back. Uh, that's a deep cut for my uh, college football fans out there. But the other thing. Yeah, it, it's you get close-ups of individual like groups of fans, and the only other time you get wide-angle view of the fans is the people in the early rows when you're looking at the field that you can just see, and you can tell from what you're saying, you can see a lot of open seats in a lot of these games. Yeah, um, and perhaps the, the 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 clown of the circus that has been Fox's coverage is uh, Alexi Lawless. He's been the U.S. clown since he became a pundit however long ago. So a couple of things that one thing that I found especially telling was that telling Clint Dempsey, the <sighs> nation's all time goal scorer. And for me, if you play less games than the guy you're tied with, that's just the clear tiebreaker. And and that guy got most all, like, got all the penalty attempts. Yes. And you would play together. Yeah. Yes. To tell him that he needed to earn his support in the 2014 world cup when Lawless did not pick the USA to advance out of the group stage. But saying that this team, which has done nothing at a World Cup prior to this World Cup, and arguably hasn't done anything at this World Cup, but that's just a conversation for another day. And by another day, I mean later in this podcast. <laughs> just to tell Clint Dempsey that, and you can just tell that Clint Dempsey has not forgiven Lawless. Like, Dempsey and, keeps a list, and when you're on the list, you ain't never fucking coming off. And Lawless might be on the top of that list. Yeah. And he's he's not, like, come out and said that I don't, I, I'm still, you know, pissed at, at Lawless for, you know, like you said, saying the U.S. wouldn't advance in 2014. But you can just feel it in every interaction he has with Lawless. You and, can see the you contempt know, in Des- Dempsey's and, and, But, like, Clint, Clint's also, like, a like an upstanding guy, you know? And so he's, he, and he's, he brings good vibes. He's one of the, you know, I think you could count on maybe one hand, uh, maybe a hand and, and an extra finger or two, though, like, the individuals that have really shined uh, through the Fox broadcasting, I think Clint's been one. Yep. In the you know, um, I think a couple others that that jump out. I, I think you and I always knew, always thought highly of Stu. Yes, he's he's clearly you know there's clearly agreements Fox has with FIFA on what I think, or maybe not though, because we're seeing BBC people make comments and stuff. So I don't know, but Stu calling the games, doing really well. Um, Derek Ray. Fucking love that guy. And a great partnership with Allie Wagner. Allie Wagner has been phenomenal. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen you know, or heard, you know, if I've, I've seen that many games that she's commentated before this World Cup. Uh, I've definitely seen a few, and I don't think I had like fully formed thoughts or opinions either way. But she has really, really, really impressed me. Um, just 
I think gone a great great deal and, and hoping that we see her on more stuff stateside. And it just shines a light on another color commentator that has, you know, a equally level caliber uh play by play announcer. Derek Ray for one, Ian Dark for the other. Yeah. But Landon Donovan has been piss poor. He is not good. No. There's so many things to dislike about how he is handled being the color commentator. And in fact, if it, if it were up to me, I would actually prefer Chad Ochocinco to be the color commentator <laughs> with Ian Dark because at least that contrast would be hilarious. <laughs> it would be phenomenal. I, I don't even like laugh at the shit Lane Donovan says. I'm just like, like, what are you saying? He also has like, and I, and I know people have like complained that he's got a nasally whiny voice, and and I don't care about his voice itself. He doesn't have any like inflection. It's the monotone. It's so monotone. Monotone. Every no matter what's happening, every everything he talks about as it's the very same. Um, and I, it's just. It feels like this guy has been coaching in, like, what, the indoor soccer league or something and not announcing soccer games for the last half decade, like Ali Wagner, Stu Holden, and, you know, uh, Jackie Oatley definitely have been in longer for some of them. Yeah, and then the last, you, you mentioned Jackie Oatley. So, um, Jackie Oatley is um, actually, she's from Wolverhampton, and I think she does um, the commentary for like the Wolverhampton <laughs> regional broadcast and so she's been paired with fellow Brit Warren Barton which is the most British name ever <laughs> <laughs> they uh they're usually holding down like the early early uh 5 a.m eastern 4 a.m central game slot yeah their chemistry is so good that I feel like it's sexual <laughs> I, I know one of two things to be true and not factually proven true, but in my bones true, they either have fucked or they really want to. One thousand percent. What are those, Every time it, they're it, on, it, I start getting sweaty. Like I'm like the third in this. Like like I'm a part of it. They're both they, very attractive it, people. It, it could have been like you know one night when they were in their twenties and thirties and they had this moment. Um, like I'm not saying that they're doing it now and and ruining family lives or anything they could be i'm not saying they're not they could be but it could have been some heated moment in the past when it was perfectly above board you can just feel that chemistry it is electric and i love it yeah i'm into it i'm into it um kind of transitioning we had kind of a couple of really big injuries and reports that came out and this one is obviously the headline and the biggest bummer but Kareem Benzema getting hurt out of the World Cup. That just sucks for everybody. Can I can I give you false hope? Yes. I saw an unconfirmed Twitter report today that there is an outside chance he makes a shock recovery at some point in the World Cup. That would be bad. Thank you. I will be hanging on to that false hope for my life. <laughs> uh, and then you can blame me when they go out and he's not back yet. Yes, it's, it's a win-win for me. I like this. Uh, also, um, Belgian striker Lukaku injured and out of the World Cup for Belgium, and uh, we'll kind of go into them as we get to their group. Yeah. But I mean, he got he got what like nine minutes or something uh, yesterday. Yeah, yeah. 
the picture that broke the internet. The Louis Vuitton ad of Messi and Ronaldo playing chess. Destroyed the internet. Nobody was ready for that. Uh, now, it's important to note something. It feels very random at first glance that Messi and Ronaldo are in this Louis Vuitton ad. Like, why Louis Vuitton? Well, Louis Vuitton actually makes the carrying case of the World Cup trophy. And so the chessboard is actually set up on that carrying case. And I think you and I have kind of talked about it's like, I think one of the best overall storylines just for the history of the sport would be if one of them won it. Absolutely. Just like, Uh, I'm not saying people should cheer uh, for that necessarily. I'm just saying from a historical relevance perspective. The best storyline from a historical relevance perspective would be they play each other in the final. Yeah, it is. That would be, that would, and it comes down to penalties, honestly. That would be the best overall story. Like, like that would be the script. Like a 3 3, both with a hat trick. Yes. You know, each score two from uh, run of play, each score one dead ball free kick. Yes. And you end up in penalties. And what happens happens, and and probably you get a uh, a Pepe red card, and Otamendi like uh, a Pepe Otamendi red card because uh, they like they throw blows at each other. That's and how Pepe should go out of the World Cup. That is how Pepe should go out of the World Cup, uh, and and so you get uh, you get double hat tricks with the two you know living goats. You get uh, red cards from each team's two hotheads. And it goes down to penalty kicks. Yeah, no, that's the perfect way the world. I happens. wouldn't even care what the actual end result was if that's how this played out. That would be. That would be probably if you think about who it, who's involved, the characters involved, their careers. If that if it happened exactly what you described, that would probably be the greatest World Cup final of all time. It would also mean it was completely fixed because oh, one thousand percent too perfect. Yeah. Uh, the uh, okay, a couple questions for you. Well, one apparently a bunch of like internet chess nerds were looking at the chessboard and determined that the way things were set up seemed to be proper and like the way that i guess there's a certain corner that the certain color squares on the end of the board is supposed to be uh in relation to you know who's which color and all, all that bullshit so apparently everything was above board there i my question for you is do you think either of them have actually played any you know even as it's a hobby like are they? Do you think they're novice chess players? Do they have never played chess? Do you think they're adequate? What, what What would you guess each individual chess ability to be? Ronaldo has never played chess in his life. Nobody that good looking plays chess. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to my chess players out there, but if you're that hot, you don't fucking play chess because you're hot. <laughs> Fair. Fair. Okay. Messi probably knows how to play chess. I would say novice. Here's here's. My my assessment on Messi, when he was young, maybe in La Masia or even before that, when he was somebody, HGH, somebody was like, "You're not gonna be the the biggest. You're not gonna be the strongest. You need to be the smartest. Chess is the great way to to like tactically think." And so I bet you he learned it. I bet you he tried it and was like, "This is too fucking slow." my opponents have too much time to think about what they're going to do and all that stuff. And so I bet you he tried it and didn't care for it because okay. it's not tactically like tactical battle in a soccer game. All right. Also, um, Louis Vuitton had to pay them the bag for that ad. Oh, dude. 
No pun intended. <laughs> but I mean, oh my god, to get them both in an ad That's, together? And, and to release that ad right before the World Cup. That was that honestly was chef's kiss. Expensive. Um, okay. Is it t- we should probably talk about the actual soccer that has been played. I thought we were just going to wrap up here. <laughs> just the chess ad. All right, that's all you got. Good luck. Um, Hot people don't play chess, and uh, that's about it. We'll see you next week. Um, okay, opening game. Ecuador against Qatar. <laughs> Boy, did we start out this World Cup in the worst way possible. The internet was on fire less than, what, 10 minutes into the game? Yes, when Enter Valencia scored a completely legitimate goal by every law of the game that I understand, and I have, and I watched it again, and I circled colors, and I broke it down on a screenshot, and then it was ruled off for an offsides. However, <laughs> when they when the semi-automated technology showed the offsides, they ignored a player who was playing them onsides, and it it was just you were all of a sudden so worried about. The fix, the, fi- the fix was it. The fix, it was. I mean, the internet and everybody watching was one hundred percent positive that the fix was in, and you know Qatar was going to probably score a one a, a goal in the second half when this game won nothing. That was going to be it, and then the internet forgot that Enter Valencia apparently is god tier right now because his goal was ruled offsides, and he said. Nah, I ain't playing like that. And then he fucking bagged a brace to just hammer the Qataris 2-0 in the opening match of the World Cup. And important that the opening goal was an awarded penalty. Important for FIFA. Because once that offsides happened, if the fix wasn't in, they were they you knew they were like, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck. People are gonna think that we tried to fix this. So I I'm I'm always curious as to who else has access into the uh, the calm earpiece that the refs all use to talk to each other. I always feel like uh, some you know Swiss fuck has a red phone in Switzerland they can pick up, I, and it gets hot. It hotlines them right into uh, the active game going on. So solid penalty. The second goal, the header was. Very, very, very well struck. Yeah. Not a header to hit. And Qatar had no fight. Nope. And so that's kind of how that group got started off. Then you had a, what I thought was a very, very entertaining game between the Netherlands and Senegal. It was end-to-end. Both teams had a lot of quality chances. And this the difference being the Dutch were able to convert theirs. Um, yeah. And Clinicality versus you know um, Senegal being a little a little wasteful, probably really missing their most clinical you know big star player. Yeah, Sadio Mane. There's a Sadio Mane sized hole in lack of cl- the, the clinicality of Senegal's team. Um, yeah, Virgil Van Dijk's first game for the Netherlands in a major tournament. Yes, yes, that's true, and. Um... Whatever secret sauce Cody Gakpo was drinking to be on fire for PSV, homie is not slowing down. Ooh-wee. So hot right now. So hot. Um, he's uh he's playing himself into I think uh you know it was rumored that he'd be maybe making a, a move in January to the Premier League. I think this World Cup is confirming that's happening. Yeah, yeah. 
So that's how that group got started. So then we're gonna we're gonna go through group by group, except we're gonna save Group B for last. So things did not get better for Qatar in Group A as Senegal beat the brakes off of them, three one, making them the first team. Uh, well, the next result then afterwards. Long story yes. short, Qatar was the first team to be eliminated from the World first Cup. First team eliminated from this World Cup, the first host nation to ever be eliminated from a World Cup before the final group stage game. Um, you know, there were a lot of, I think, comments um, from news outlets and stuff where a lot of the Qatar, Qatari, I don't know if these were the fans or if these were the people kind of supporting and setting up the association, uh, really just wanted to be better than South Africa, who until this year was the only host nation to never make it out of the group stage. And in that sense, Qatar failed immaculately because South Africa at least made it to the final group stage game. Yes. But we we should say Qatar scored their first ever World Cup goal. They did. I mean, it's their first ever World Cup and they they, they never qualified for a World Cup, so like... It'd be pretty cool for that one guy, though. You know, like that, that's got to be cool for him. Yes. yes. Congratulations, guy. And then the Netherlands and Ecuador played, again, another very entertaining game involving the Netherlands, and I think we did not give Ecuador enough credit. Dude. And I'll say this. I did not assume Edward Valencia was going God mode because he <laughs> so scored in this game, in, too. Ten minutes in, it seemed like we did give enough credit because Cody Gakbo Ooh. hit a, a tough, you know, Tough angled shot. People are not appreciating how hard, how like, you know, other goals are getting a lot of praise for the awe. People do not appreciate what a technically difficult shot that was. Yes. Yes. Um, At high speed, right? It was a, it was a deep run with a defender on him from a tight angle. And that was his his first shot of the game. It was, what were we like five minutes in or something? It, It was early and just did not waste a chance. And then Ecuador decided, you know, it was, you know, okay, it's my turn. And there were large swaths of this game where Ecuador really felt like the better team. For sure. If, if I had to like, I think there were more moments where Ecuador, Ecuador felt the better team than there were moments where Netherlands felt the better team. Yeah, I think they once they got they they had the good early start and then the Dutch just took their foot off the gas and Ecuador were really able to assert themselves and really out physically like physically dominate the Dutch. And and I I think I mentioned this on our preview pod. If not, it was one of our many conversations. This kind of showed to me what I've been worried about with this Dutch team. They do not, as players, have a lot of major tournament experience. Been missing from World Cups, haven't made deep runs in the Euros, and they got they got complacent. And so with that result, as we said, Qatar is already eliminated at zero points. You have Senegal in third at three points, Ecuador at second and four points, and the Netherlands on, at first on four points. Now here's the best part: Ecuador and Senegal play each other for basically it's basically a round of thirty-two a, a, game. A death match to move forward. Yeah, but where where Ecuador benefit with with. You know, they're protected with a tie. Yeah, so that's going to be a really good one. And then, uh, presumably, the Dutch are going to just beat Qatar in top of the group. Yeah, 
and you, I would, I would one hundred percent assume that the Netherlands will rotate heavily, yep. play, set, play, play guys that haven't gotten as many minutes, protect them, protect anybody on the yellow card, and protect anybody that's gotten heavy minutes because they absolutely should. You know, they could probably field their fifth best team and and pump Qatar pretty easily. So now moving on to Group C. The, another Middle Eastern team is faring much better than Qatar. Argentina, Saudi Arabia, the early matchup from Group C. Gates, what happened? Saudi Arabia, we owe you an apology. So sorry. And this, and this, on our World Cup preview pod, I kind of, you know, very honestly said I don't know a single name on this roster. Donnie, I think you've vocalized both of our shared opinion. Congratulations on making it here. You know, see you later. Maybe see you again in four years. We we were lazy, Donnie. We, we looked do at the work. roster. We looked at the roster. We did not look at the manager. How you could not look at the most beautiful man alive is beyond me. A, a man we have praised before on this podcast. Yes, of in course. this podcast's infancy. Yes, Hervé Renard. Looks like Jamie Lannister. Looks like Jamie Lannister, but sexier. Man, yeah, he 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 he's he is hotter than Jamie Lannister. He, no, he is. This man, first off, you know Morocco World Cup twenty eighteen, their first for twenty years, played really really well. Yep. Won Afcon with Zambia in twenty twelve and Ivory Coast in twenty fifteen. Didn't last long in Lille. Was relegated with another French club, cup, another French club, um, and gave Zambia's first ever you know victory at Afcon, and like I said, he, he won it with them as well. Um, he's the manager at Saudi Arabia, and Argentina went up one nothing. Lionel Messi goal, penalty. We knew it was over, right? It's done. Yeah, at that point, you're thinking, is it going to be 4-0 or 5-0? Then it was 2-0. But then it wasn't. But then it was called back from offsides, for offsides. Then it was 2-0 again. But then it wasn't. But then it wasn't. Then and it was then, Donnie, it was 2-0. <laughs> a third time, but then it wasn't. Now, two of those three were rightfully called offsides. However, Lorito Martinez was 100% onside. I will I say that. Latoro Martinez was honestly may have been more on sides than the inner Valencia goal that was called off. Yeah. VAR is having a field day at crushing my overs, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so we go into halftime. One nothing Argentina. They've I think I think I think two of their three offsides goals were in the first half, and the third one was in the second half. That's um, something like that. So, you know, it comes out later, we see footage of Hervé Renard's halftime speech. Electric. And electric. It really gave me vibes of the Jesse Marsh speech to Arby Salzburg at halftime in the Champions League when they not they I can't remember which top club they ended up, you know, pushing to the brink and I think even beating. Um, but just very, very electric vibes with the guy speaking a different language and the translator is translating it. And whatever he said worked, man. Saudi Arabia came out flying and buzzing, and they bagged two goals to take. I mean, I don't, I don't. Has there been a more shocking 
World Cup upset that we've seen in a long time. From, from a betting perspective, no. This was the biggest shock in World Cup history. I think Saudi, Saudi Arabia, Arabia were a plus 3,000 underdog. Saudi Arabia 2, Argentina 1, full-time whistle. Absolute scenes. Madness. And Hervé Renard in his pressed white button-down. Literally, showing, like, just... Showing a little, little bit of chest. It just, like, fits, fits him so well. It may be body painted on. It feels body painted on. It's beautiful. He's beautiful. Oh, uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if we carved out an actual segment for it this time, but spoiler alert: he's my hot guy of the week. Yeah, he's my hot guy <laughs> of the week too. You just beat the second World Cup betting favorite two one with Saudi Arabia. You just beat one of the best players of all time, and you're you look like that. Some yeah. some guys have it all, <laughs> and some women have it all. And whoever his wife is, she has it all. <laughs> she has it all. Um, so the next game in that group was actually kind of like, this game was exciting, incredible. The next <laughs> game was kind of a snoozer. I mean, it's worth mentioning that we've had, you know, what, five goalless 0-0 draws in this World Cup already? Yes, and the record is seven. Record is seven, and last World Cup had, I think, two or three total. And I think it's that rushed winter World Cup. Teams don't have that full month of preparation throughout May and June to get ready. And it's it's harder to click as an offense than it is to click as a defense. And we're seeing that play out, and never more so, I think, than the uh, Poland-Mexico game, which going into it, these teams knew a win here, and we're looking really good considering the Argentina loss already to get out of the group nope. so na- naturally what did both teams do donnie nothing it was a zero zero tie the one exciting moment of which was a penalty awarded to poland which Lewandowski did not strike well it was kind of in between the center of the goal and the post kind of that mid-range height that tends to be very very saveable ochoa does what he does makes the save and uh that game ended zero zero outside of that moment overall incredibly boring and this was a Lewandowski that, to this point, had never scored for Poland in a World Cup. And more importantly, it was the exact result. It was the most perfect result for Argentina. Yep. Yeah. So then, that takes us into the second kind of match day, so quote-unquote for Group C, where Saudi Arabia could not keep up their magic going, fell 2-0 to Poland, and as you just kind of said, Lewandowski finally got his World Cup goal. Yeah, and we've given him a lot of shit, um, rightfully so, unrightfully so, who knows. We haven't done him nearly as dirty as the France you know, journalists have done him by canceling blown to ore on him. But you could see with actual tears of emotion what scoring that goal meant to him. Yeah. And that was pretty special to see. Yeah. So then that takes you into the Argentina-Mexico game. Really a must-win for both teams, but a little bit more so for Argentina, given how they started. And of course, late in the match, Messi, a line-drive goal into the bottom corner. And Argentina ended up beating Mexico 2-0, and Mexico played so dirty. I mean, the, t- the fact that there were not more bookings in that game is incredible to me, because some of the challenges were outrageous. I will say this. Argentina were not without fault or sin committed. They True. were not. They were not playing like saints. But 
there was a de- they if we were gonna if, you know to keep this religion uh, metaphor they were playing like degenerates where Mexico were actually playing like demons. Yeah, yeah. Now, and, I mean, it, once again, like we love you know the narratives, the stories. This was a classic messy moment, right? Being frustrated by a team that is you know clearly thinking let's get this draw get a win in the final mac for mexico and, and see where the chips fall and messi wasn't having it uh donnie i think now's a great time for you to kind of mention what you mentioned to me on the text where this game was going on certain strikes certain goals scored are just better than others purely based on like the manner in which they enter the net or they enter the goal or, or hit the net. Yes. And I think this one qualified. Yes. I always say that if you hit a shot from like more than like eight yards, basically, and you hit the side netting before you hit the back netting, that is perfection. Yes. And, and this, this came through because I, I made a point that it wasn't the like, stereotypical messy wonder goal that I think we've grown accustomed to seeing and just and, and pointing out that like it wasn't a sick nasty curler no, right that no. aerial curler um this just looked like a different it was a different type of shot and I think it just once again shows the the, the wide range that he has right he can rocket it into the side net if he needs to line drive I, I do I do to say though side netting before the back netting is up there but nothing beats the top netting before anything else. That is the holy grail. Wait, no, uh, holy grail's got to be posting in. Okay, bar. Okay, hear me out. It's not happened often, but it's happened at least once. Bar down, off the ground into the top netting. Actually, no. The best is when you hit, <laughs> when you <laughs> just going on to <laughs> when you when you when you post goalkeeper into the goal. No, no, no. Best is when you like scissor kick it off of the ground over the goalie and in. That is the best. That is the best. I think I saw. I think I, I think one of the first Milan games I ever saw. I think Kaká scored something like that. Yeah, it's probably fucking nasty as shit. <laughs> um, the exciting part about this Group C is that anyone can advance going into the last matchups between uh, Argentina, Poland, and Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and anyone can finish top of the group except yeah. Mexico. And and and. From the anyone can advance, that is true, but it most likely won't be Mexico. No, I would take. So- I like Saudi Arabia against Mexico. Yeah, um, I-, I do too as well. And obviously, I, it, what's fascinating too is it's Poland against Argentina. Poland will go in knowing a draw or a win gets them through. Something they have not done in a hot minute. Yeah, but it's against Lionel Messi and Argentina. And how do you? What game plan do you come up with? With a Poland team that has clearly decided they want to defend and counter, even though they seem pretty shit on the counter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I gotta say, I like Argentina in that matchup, but, you know, they, they need to get the offense humming. But I think one major improvement they made from the first match against Saudi Arabia to the second match against Mexico is that um, Lissandra Martinez, the man you started the second match, and the yeah. defense was instantly better. Absolutely. Which was wild to me that he didn't start in the first He's season. played so well in the Premier League. Why wouldn't you play him? Yeah. He's the short king. <laughs> All right. So that's uh, something to look forward to there. Now, moving on to Group D, where we started out with, uh, I think, Australia 
and friends. Yes, we did. And a shocker of a start. You know, on the heels of the previous day's shocker of Argentina losing to Saudi Arabia, we followed this up with Australia taking the lead over France. And this is what annoys me about Didier Deschamps so much, is that he literally lucked in to a better um, lineup situation. and yeah. situation. Because he started Lucas Hernandez at left back, which is wild when you're Diego Hernandez is the best left back in soccer. Then, on the first play of the game, Lucas Hernandez, I think he got hurt, tore his ACL, right? Yep. And thus, in that action, made the mistake. I mean, it's not his fault he tore his ACL, but that's him tearing his ACL led I to... Do think, I do think him getting beat, like, it was him turning while getting beat that tore his ACL. Okay. So, yeah, either, I don't know, chicken or egg situation, which came first, him getting beat or tearing the ACL, but that led to the wide-open runner, you know, guy with the ball running down the right flank, whipping the ball in for Australia to score their first goal. So, okay, Deschamps was clearly going to probably start Lucas Hernandez all-tournament. Hernandez, Lucas unfortunately gets hurt. Younger brother Theo, Teo, as you like to say. Well, I mean, that, that's how his name is pronounced. Uh, Teo comes in and immediately delivers an assist for France's equalizer. I mean, here's the thing, man. <laughs> it's just that, how do you get that, how are you that inept and then get that lucky? Obviously, the collateral damage being Lucas Hernandez ACL. It's brutal, and like, you know, I'm sure, no, obviously nobody wanted to play more than Teo Hernandez did, but I can't imagine anybody being more upset outside of Lucas than Teo, that that's the way he gets his time. Yeah. Uh, the thing with Deschamps, and this is what happened with Pavard, you know, in the 2018 World Cup, and it really worked out for them. He loves playing guys who have time and experience at center back, at fullback. He likes, he's so defensive, it's so fucking boring, that he likes having four trained center backs on his, in his back four. And that's why Teo was never going to start in Deschamps' ideal lineup. But yeah, as you said, they luck into Teo has probably got to be the starter for the rest of the World Cup. And his dynam- dynam- dynamism and attack and able to link up on the wing with Kylian Mbappe. It's and, and, oh, wait, send dangerous balls into Olivier Giroud, who he has extensive attacking chemistry with at Milan over these past two seasons. Weird that that wasn't a thing that you wanted to do before the injury, but okay. It's what's so annoying if... if- France is successful at this World Cup. It's literally not because of Deschamps. I will die on this hill. The dude could win four fucking World Cups as the coach. But this is the ineptitude I'm talking about. He literally lucked into this shit, which is obvious to literally everybody else. Yeah. But yeah, France is nasty. Um, Olivier Giroud scored two goals against Australia, making him joint all-time top goal scorer for France with Thierry Henry. So uh, that would probably be our honorable mention for Hawkeye of the Week. Yeah. In, in any world where Irv Renard did not beat Messi with Saudi Arabia, he yeah. went Drew. He, he, absolutely. He's still looking so fine. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, the shocker, though, came in the early game with the other two teams in this group. Dude. What's going on with your boys? Yeah. Here's the thing. It was... Denmark and Tunisia. Yep. 
Denmark entered in with a lot of excitement and expectation around their squad, which is something they probably haven't had to really cope with since they won the Euros in, what, 92? I think it was 92 when they won the Euros with... uh, Was it either 92 or 96? Both of those sound right. I think it was 92. Um... They didn't win the Euros, did they? I don't know. Right, whatever. No, they did win the Euros. Yeah. Okay. It was one of those two. It was with Peter Schmeichel. It was either Schmeichel, 92 yeah. or 96. I just don't remember which one. They, they haven't entered a, a major World Cup with this much of like expectation excitement since then. So none of these players were around there. And I think, you know, they just they ran into something that a lot of people weren't talking about before this World Cup. The African... 92? The African nations have really strong fan support, and it makes sense from a you know distance geography perspective. And the Tunisia fan base was loud. Was you know there wasn't a second that Denmark had the ball where there weren't cheers and whistles from the Tunisia fans that were very deafening, and you know I think that's off putting every now and then for players, especially in possession. And you ended up with a game with a lot of open chances on both sides. Uh, nobody game. was nobody was really able to to convert. This is one of those that snobs be like boring soccer, no goals. But people that actually watch the sport, it's a zero zero that you enjoyed watching. Yeah, yeah. So then moving on to um, kind of match week two of Group D, Australia beat Tunisia one zero. This was the four a.m. Central Time game. I'm not going to pretend like I watched this game. I did not get up for this one as this was Saturday morning when I was uh, sleeping before a two hour or seventeen hour drive. So wow, that went from two to seventeen. <laughs> yeah. But I did watch France and Denmark. I, as did I. That was a fun game. Really fun game. France taking the lead off of, if I'm not mistaken. Teord Hernandez to, to killing Mbappe connection, which is the second Mbappe goal assisted by Teo Hernandez of this tournament. They had one in the first game after Teo assisted Giroud. I mean, I thought Teo Hernandez with Rafael Leal was the best, you know, left-sided attack in European soccer. I was not thinking about the international level. You know, France being a European nation, Teo Hernandez to killing Mbappe does out, you know, it beats out the Teo Leal uh, attack. Dude, Mbappe is so it's, nasty. He's a key code. It is just like, he. did you see the clip of him, like, just like cutting <laughs> to fuck with the guy, and he just, the, guy, the defender just fell? He fucked with Rasmus Chris, uh, Christensen, who is the Leeds fullback. Yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, he just head fakes him, and the dude knows he has to cut so fast to, to keep up if Mbappe is cutting that he just wipes out. And Mbappe doesn't even go anywhere afterwards. He's, he's just, just just toying with his food. It is... He was so special at the 2018 World Cup, and to already have three goals in two games at this World Cup, it is just... It is delightful to just watch him just run at people and just destroy everybody. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, France took the lead. Denmark, though, didn't roll over and die. 
they mounted, you know, uh, a comeback. They were able to get a goal off of a corner. Uh, I think it was Andreas Christensen, the now Barcelona center back, with the goal. Unfortunately, as we just mentioned, Mbappe is a cheat code. Yeah. So he got the brace and the winner, and um, that was that. And so with that result, France became the first nation to qualify for the knockout round. Um, however... First holders to advance the knockout round since 2006. Brazil, since Brazil did it in 2016 or 2006. Yeah, exactly. But it's still we still have very interesting um, matchups here because again, none of the three uh, other teams have been eliminated. They could all technically qualify. And our last matchups are going to be France against Tunisia, and I think we expect that to be kind of a cakewalk for France. Yep. And then Australia and Denmark, basically a play-in, where the, another one of these play-in games where the tie favors Australia. So, on paper, on paper, Denmark should be able to win that game pretty easily. Yes. But they have not played that. We, uh, if they play how they played against France, they should be able to win that game. But if they play how they played against Tunisia, who the hell knows? And, you know, you... Uh, it, a different nation, you could say they're going to rest their starters, they'll rest anybody on yellows, maybe Chiefs can make an upset, but they're playing against France, whose second team is better than most of these teams' first team. Objectively, that is correct. It was the, it was the case in 2018. It has not gotten any different in, 20, in, in, in 2022. So I would expect, you know, these French players are trying to prove to Duchamp that they deserve more playing time for the rest of the tournament. So they're not... They're not going to take it easy in any way. They also want to want to ensure they win the group, even though it would, even if they lost, it'd be pretty hard for them to not win the group on gold. You know, so I still feel okay about my my Danes getting out of the group, but that that game is an, I think the second or third we've identified as like a, basically a round of thirty two game, which is exciting to see. You, you like it when they come down to that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Group E. I'll let you lead us off. We had another stunning upset to start Group E. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I was looking at the Spain Costa Rica game, and I was like upset. But that was not the well, first. Costa game. Rica was upset. That was not the first game of Group E. The first game of Group E was Germany against a team I had identified, I think, uh, early on as an exciting team that might shock some people. Um, in Japan, the Samurai Blues, incredibly, incredibly fun game to watch. Yep. Japan, you know, a lot more talent on this roster than they get credit for. You know, good, a good, a decent amount of European club pedigree, but they play like a unit. They usually defend together, but Germany especially young talent that you identified as, you know, potential uh, young player of the year. I think we both did. Uh, Jamal Musiala looked excited and electric, creating opportunities, Germany not taking them. Uh, Gundogan, you know, failing to get on target for like four straight attempts. I text you about it. And then immediately Germany awarded a penalty. Gundogan converts, of course, because I had just you know spoke the opposite into existence. And then, then you're thinking, man, it's been a fun game. I, you know, this is where Germany's gonna be all German and 
be clinical, be a machine, and just press the advantage and probably get one or two more before the game's over. And boy, did Japan say respectfully, no. Because I don't see them saying, like, fuck you or, or any of that. Just respectfully, no. And they took the game to, to Germany. And Japan, or Japan took the game to Germany, and Germany had no idea what to do. Nope, they were all out of sorts. And Japan walked away with the stunning W. It was shocking when they tied it, you know, to, yes. to bring it level 1-1. One, one. Not, and not shocking is like that came out of nowhere, but shocking and like, I cannot believe how well they are playing. And then when they hit that long ball uh, all the way down, it, it was for the, the, the go-ahead goal, absolutely amazing scenes. Um, and then to tie it all off, and, you know, amazing, huge, big win. What's the first thing that Japan fans do? Clean the they clean the stadium. Yeah, and then the team cleans the locker room. It's spotless. Well, not spotless. They leave custom-made origami cranes as the only evidence that they were there. No, spotless in terms of clean. I, I know, I, but I, it's to point out, no, they clean it perfectly, and then they, they also leave a gift. Yes. Um, and they gave us all a gift as viewers. Germany had no... When you don't finish away... When you have chance after chance after chance like Germany did and you don't put them away, that's what happens. Well, that's also that, – that, that's what you just – I think Chelsea have coined that as starting Kai Havertz. <laughs> then we have the next game in this groupie where Spain truly just shit-pumped Costa Rica. We had – yeah. I mean, they got dicked on, shit-pumped. Whatever you want to call it, it happened to them. Um. Seven nothing. Uh, there's not uh, a lot. Like, how can you? you can't, there's not really a lot of analysis to give to a slaughter. It was just. Here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. Yeah. Not too late in the second half. Pretty early in the second half. You know, I think uh, Luis Enrique really realized what was going on here, and that this was a. You know, free-for-all, self-service, all-you-can-eat buffet. And he did maybe the smartest managerial move we have seen in the World Cup so far. He got struggling, perpetually struggling Alvaro Morata onto the field. He got the easy automatic goal. And we'll see if that pays dividends and confidence moving forward. Hint, hint, wink, wink. We'll talk about it in just a few seconds. Credit to Costa Rica. Because after getting shellacked by Spain, 7-0, they did win their next match against Japan. 1-0. Against Japan, with the, you know, Japan with the second biggest upset in this World Cup. Yep. And they did it in classic World Cup Costa Rica fashion. Yep. 1-0, you know, their first shot and goal of the tournament. So Joel Campbell's score. Going to rely on defense, Kayla Navas, and... This is, as we stand, as we pod today, the only CONCACAF win in the World Cup is from Costa Rica, the team that currently have a negative six goal differential. Then, Germany and Spain played a great match, actually. Very exciting. I think from both a combination of a tactical as well as a, like, well-played game, the best game of the World Cup to date. Agreed the best game, but not the most entertaining. Not the most exciting. We're going to talk on that 
pretty soon, I think. Yes. But I no, just from the the talent that was at on display and a really well executed chess match, I felt. Um, yeah. This was the the best game played. Yeah. And I mentioned, you know, I had the, I I, I mentioned just earlier, Alvaro Morata with an incredible one touch outside of the boot finish to get the lead against Germany. Yep. And at this point, everybody's thinking it. Germans are gonna look like they're going out of the, out in the group stage for the second straight World Cup in a row. Until Hansi Flick makes an excellent substitution by bringing on um Fulkrug. Fulkrug. I, think it's, I don't know if it's Nicholas Fulkrug. I can't remember his first name, but... Who gets the equalizer? Um, a pretty funny, I thought, I was laughing at it, exchange of play. So shortly before the equalizer, Jamal Musiala was cooking. He okay. was dangerous in the middle. He was dangerous out wide. He got himself into a great situation where he could have played the square ball across the box to Fulkrug for an automatic equalizing goal. He instead took the shot, didn't go in, and it's like, you know, I get it, you want to take the shot, but also you got to do the, the automatic goal there. And a few moments later, Musiala kind of dribbles through a few guys. It's a lucky bounce. The ball lands at his feet in the box, and out of nowhere, Fulcrug just bursts through, takes the ball off of Musiala's feet, and just lashes it into the net. It was just like a, you didn't pass it to me last time. I'm not going to let you make that mistake. You're welcome for the assist. Boom. <laughs> yeah. And it's really put this group in a nice, delicate balance. Because yeah. Uh, so just to give a quick kind of points update, Spain atop the group presently with four points. Yep. Japan sits second with three. Costa Rica also have three, but at their negative six goal differential, they're uh, you know they're behind Japan, and then Germany sit in fourth place at one point on the negative one goal differential. Yep. But it should be noted the final group match of this group: Spain against Japan and Germany against Costa Rica. So Japan would need. A result against Spain and most likely would need Germany to not beat Costa Rica for them to hold on a second. Yeah. I, I see Germany beating Costa Rica. I see Spain beating Japan. I would not be shocked if Japan tied Spain. But I, I, I believe in this, this Japan team. Sure. The Costa Rica result clearly hurts that. I, but even if they were to tie Spain, I think Germany beat Costa Rica by multiple goals, at which point they would level on points with Japan be ahead on goal differential. Yeah. I kind of wish the World Cup used head-to-head as the first tiebreaker if two teams tied on points. If two teams are tied on points in the group stage, I do kind of wish you looked at head-to-head first so that if one team beat the other, they went ahead. The, the Serie A has, has this last year, uh, in the last two years, replaced goal differential uh, as the primary tiebreaker in the league standings with head-to-head record. And it, it's made it a lot more fun and enjoyable for me just because, like, 
if you lose to a team 3-1, like, and you end up tied on points, yeah, they be, they, they beat you, so they deserve to go ahead in your spot. It would be kind of fun if the World Cup did that. Yeah, I see your point, but I think that that... My, my issue with that format is that it plays a little too much into, like, this one team, just because this one team is a bad matchup for you, doesn't necessarily mean they're overall better than you. I, I, I think... This way this way you're punished if you get beat six nothing. Right? Yeah. Like if you if you lose a game six nothing, you are adequately punished in that sense. And, and so I, I, I this is not a hill to die on. Like I'm not I don't have an issue with goal differential. Um, but there are moments when looking at some of these groups where it's like, man, there's a very good chance these two teams are gonna be tied on uh, points maybe even tied on goal differential, but one's going to have more goals scored and that's how they're going to get through. And sometimes it's like, it'd be cool if you were rewarded for beating that team. That's all. I see what you're saying. I think I have an old man yells at clouds viewpoint on this. Yeah, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't like change. You know that. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, speaking of change, I think we got to go to Group F because there is a perennial choice for Dark Horse whose perspective of is changing pretty rapidly before our eyes. Belgium. And I know I'm taking us a little out of order here because I do think the first match of this group was Croatia-Morocco. It was. Um, I'll save you all the time. I woke up for that game. (laughs) I immediately regretted doing so <laughs> fucking snooze fast but i will say the support the fan support for the morocco team was evident from kickoff and never wavered and i think that's a story here these north african teams are getting a really good fan turnout and i do think it's having an impact in some of these matchups yeah no doubt and, and that's that's the benefit it 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 sucks that Qatar got this World Cup when there are other, I think, you know, nations in the Middle East that have strong historical, like, you know, soccer culture. And it's a shame that they couldn't have been the ones to get to get this World Cup. But it does also kind of show the benefits to spreading the World Cup around to other regions that don't always get to host it or haven't been able to host it historically. Because with this is in South America, North America, or Europe. I don't think some of these stronger uh, African performances that we're seeing, we may not see because they're not, they wouldn't have that super strong support they have. It's been exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So Croatia, Morocco, zero, zero, Belgium, one, Canada, zero in a game where it's hard to say that Belgium were the better. (laughs) This, this scoreline heavily flattered Belgium. Yeah. Cause they won. And and they and they upon the quality of the game played, you could argue with confidence they didn't necessarily deserve to. No, Canada was by far the better team. Just could not get it together in the final third. They were so disjointed at scoring a goal. They got an early penalty. And instead of having oh. Jonathan David take it, they have Alfonso. They're kind of their talisman, and Alfonso Davies take it. And again, just a poor, poor penalty. That could have changed the entire outcourse of the game if that goes in. A penalty that, like, if it's your 
fifth, you know, your 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 fourth or like your seventh person in a penalty shootout hits it, you're like, yeah, he's not a chosen penalty taker. Sure. Like he got it on frame. What more can you ask of him? But when you get to pick of anybody of, of your eleven on the field to take a penalty, if that's the one you get, you are you've got to be disappointed in that one. And how do you not pick Jonathan David in that scenario? I don't. I'll never understand. Yeah. Now, Canada's coach just made a severe mistake after that Belgium after that Belgium game, and kind of said, "Don't worry, we're gonna f Croatia." And Croatia's newspaper took word of this, and they made a caricature of him with a very tiny little manhood, obscured by a very tiny little object, kind of saying, "We'll see who f's who." Well, so a little more, a little more detail here. After the game, the whole Canada team huddled around the like midfield, and they had a bit of a moment where he ta- where Herndon talked to the team. A reporter afterwards asked him what he said, and he said, "Hey, you guys, like you know, fought, you played incredibly well." You know, pick your heads up. We're gonna go fuck Croatia. And his mistake wasn't saying that to his team. His mistake was when the reporter asked him what he said, he forgot to leave that part out. Yeah. And in the the actual, so the, the little object that was covering his uh, manhood was a tiny, shrunken Canadian like flag colored maple. <laughs> and they had one on his manhood and one on his mouth. And the uh, translation was. You have the mouth, but do you have the balls? It turns out he did not have the balls. It turns out they had the balls for 70 seconds. Yes, Alfonso Davies got an electric early goal. 70 seconds in, it's the fastest goal of this World Cup. Yep. Canada's first ever World Cup goal. Yep. Uh, Tejon Buchanan assist. I still don't like that guy. He's, uh, a he's a prick from World Cup qualifying. Tejan McKinnon's assist into Afonso Davies in the record books as Canada's men's first ever World Cup goal scorer. That's pretty cool. Almost scored again, the the Canadians, after the goal. Yep. Didn't. Oh. And then enough time passed that that midfield trio of Brozovic, Modric, and Kovacic were able to grow into the game, and they were able to feed Perisic and Kramaric with opportunities down the wing through the middle yeah going into halftime um Kramerich and uh, Lavaja scored for Croatia giving up a 2-1 lead kind of got the dagger in the 70th minute to make it 3-1 another Kramerich goal yet a brace and then Major hit the stoppage time wanted to really just put the bow on it to win 4-1 and Canada is the second team and eliminated. only team at this point to be uh, other than Qatar to be eliminated from the World Cup they tried to play exciting soccer, but... They Jum- did play exciting soccer. Yeah, they did. Ineffective, but exciting. I would describe it as they burned so bright. They burned so fast. They got burnt in the end. Yeah. And then, in an all-time Petty Wars <laughs> move, which I, I respect this. I re- Like, once... The Canada's coach said what he said to the press. It was just like, you opened up yourself to this. Yeah. Where Cranbridge was basically like, we saw who F2 after all. Or something along yeah. those lines. That was yeah. fucking awesome. That was awesome. Yeah. I mean, also, like, just like just know your opponents. I don't know if the Croatians are, like, a people you want to provide just, like, poster board material for. As someone who was just there a little over a year ago, very friendly and wonderful people, but they're all massive. 
Do not. Well, and, why would you upset any of them? And you, just from at least the Croatians that I, there's a lot of Croatians that play in, in Syria. So, I, you know, watch them a lot. They always, always, always play better with a little, like, you know, chip on their shoulder, fire in their belly. Yeah, dude. It's that old Yugoslavia Civil War kind of chip on the shoulder. Uh-huh. It's Don't like we have to justify the, the fact that we took the entire coastline away from everybody else. Don't feed the beast. <laughs> yeah. So, that happened. But somehow, that wasn't quite as shocking as what happened in the other second game of Group F. Morocco, Belgium. Yes. Morocco won 2-0. And Courtois was sus, by the way. He conceded the same goal twice and just got lucky that one got ruled off. Also, like, Morocco never really seemed like they were under pressure from Belgium. No. Kevin De Bruyne has not been good these He's last not few games. He's been kind of bad. Um, and can... people are asking the question, Is not me. Player? Is he a system player? Yeah, like you just asked the question, is he a system player? Can I give you my thoughts on this? Yes. He is, it's not that he's a system player. It's not that. He was great at Wolfsburg. Okay. It's a very different system than Manchester City. That was also like 10 years ago. And here's the thing. It's a use it or lose it situation. He has become so insulated in Pep's Man City, where he gets to feed players, you know, in the past, like Sergio Aguero, in the present, like Erling Holland, he gets to play alongside Bernardo Silva, he gets to play alongside all these great players, um, you know, the death of Jack Grealish probably weighed on him very heavily, too. <laughs> I, I think he has forgotten how to play with people that are a cut below the world's best. So, in a way, he has become accustomed to a certain system full of certain players. Here's the thing. It's like <laughs> it's like what happens when people become uber, uber wealthy. They insulate themselves in like an echo chamber, and all they hear are people agreeing with them and their thoughts and their ideas, and they lose like a grasp on... Reality? Reality. That's what's happened to Kevin De Bruyne. Fair play. He's, he's going to light up the Premier League when he gets back. He's yeah. going to make immaculate, incredible plays. Yeah, because he's going he's gonna to be back in the system that he likes. <laughs> I'm just saying, Bruno Fernandez has two goals and two assists away from him. Here's, here's the thing. You are missing the opportunity to realize that this is a poison that he's basically his mind and his ability is being poisoned by Pep. Pep is doing this to him because this is what Pep does. This is it's not that he's a system player, it's that this is Pep's fault. He is not just robbing De Bruyne in Belgium of his ability to make spectacular plays for them. He's robbing the people, us, the fans, of the opportunity to watch De Bruyne cook. It's all Pep's fault. Jose Mourinho would never. Well then on that note Thank you, Pep, because I would love Belgium to be knocked out of them. <laughs> knocked out of the group stages. Because fuck that guy. Um, speaking of, so we said Canada's already out. They play their last game against Morocco. So let's look at the group, Group F. 
Croatia, yeah. four points. Morocco, four points. Belgium, three. Canada, zero. Canada's already out. Canada, Morocco is one matchup. Belgium, Croatia is another matchup with any combination of possibilities in terms of topping the group, second in the group, between Croatia, Morocco, and Belgium is possible. So, this is also the one where, just because Canada's out and they have nothing to play for, I don't think they have nothing to play for. Pride. Pride, their nation's never won a World Cup game. Like, Herndon, for his flaws, I think his rookie mistakes that he's made, He's shown, especially in the Belgium game and then early in the Croatia game, that he can tactically set his team up to succeed and to play well. So that Morocco, Morocco getting a result against Canada is not a given, although it looks, you know, you, you'd probably bet on them getting a, a win or a draw over them losing. But it's, it's far from guaranteed. Yeah. And then you have, it's not necessarily a round of 32 game, although it kind of is. Because Belgium have to win or they go home. Yep. But Croatia conceivably could lose to Belgium and still make it through, depending on the Canada-Morocco outcome, if Canada were to beat Morocco. It's a super fascinating group. It's, it's, it's incredible. It does feel like... Yeah, I mean, it's... It, with how well Morocco have played... It's hard to see Croatia losing to Belgium and still getting through. But with how Belgium has played, has played, it's hard to see them beating Croatia. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Group G. Where we have Brazil, Switzerland, Cameroon, and Serbia. So, first game, Switzerland against Cameroon. 1-0 goal for Switzerland. Yes. Yeah. Um, 1-0 win, excuse me. 1-0 win, Switzerland over Cameroon. Um, I woke up for this game. I think I fell asleep during part of it. It was the early game. I woke back up. I was there in time to see Briel Mbolo's goal. Uh, interesting note, born in Cameroon. Oh. I think he grew up in Switzerland from the age of seven. I think he moved there with his mother. Uh, of note, he did not celebrate the goal. When he scored against Cameroon, he kind of put his hands up. His teammates all like you know came and celebrated around him, but he did not personally celebrate. Then there was a lot of like Twitter and online backlash about why was this man you know representing Switzerland and not Cameroon. His mom, I thought, had like a really poignant response about you know due to certain conditions with their lives in Cameroon. Uh, they had a better opportunity to, for their lives in Switzerland, and the country Switzerland gave Briel, you know, all the opportunities to be successful and succeed for his family. And you know, like he doesn't have any ill will towards the country he was born in of Cameroon, but he has always identified as a Swiss, and he being able to score for Switzerland is a really amazing thing to see him do. So I just thought that was a you know. Important note, and it is you know wild to see a guy who who has ties to both countries be able to score for one against another in the World Cup. Yeah. Second game in this group, we had Brazil Serbia, and the scoreline actually fatters Serbia because this mm. first game was just all Brazil. For the first like seven minutes, I was like, "This is this is what I liked about Serbia. Like they can muck it up, they can make things difficult." 
And then, Donnie, I swear to God, I felt like I saw something. The first seven minutes, I felt like we were watching Brazil of the last two World Cups. Yeah. Talented. All the right pieces, but just something's missing. And then, from like the 15th minute on, I felt like we were watching 2002 Brazil. The flair, the excitement, the level of fun those players were clearly having playing with each other. Yeah, absolutely. They just, they look so happy. And, you know, Ricardoson got the first goal to open things up for them. But I think the the feeling you had of Brazil was encapsulated by the second goal. Oh my god. Vinicius Jr. played a beautiful cross with the outside of his foot. Rickarson popped it up to himself and then scissor kicked the shit out of it into the goal. Yeah. I will be shocked if another goal beats that for goal of the tournament. Because the, the cross was incredible. Literally in between two guys on a perfect... Perfect spin with the other yeah. foot. Yeah, Richarlison was not open. Like, no. He wasn't alone in the box by any means. And then his touch. <sighs> Perfect pop-up touch, and then just the execution. That was awesome. Something slightly less awesome for Brazil is that Neymar got, got injured. Fouled. Got fouled, I think, 11 times that game. Yeah. Uh, most of any player in the opening game of the World Cup. And his ankle... Looked like it had eaten a grapefruit. <sighs> and it was the color of penis skin. <laughs> it had like a purpley hue to it. <laughs> purpley hue to it. Really, really swollen. I've actually had that happen to my <laughs> before. Yes, you have. In college, in intramurals, I partially tore a couple ligaments in my ankle. And it's it, swel- it swelled up to that size. And the discoloration was from, like, the blood in the swelling, like, leaking into the rest of the foot. It was gnarly. I was, I was, I was supposed, I was supposed to be out for a while. I think I came back um, a month in, or a month, a month after or so. They're saying Neymar out for group stage. They hope to have him back for the knockout knockout rounds. If he's back, he'll be, he's going to be in pain, like, He's going to be in pain, and you know people are going to keep fouling that ankle. Yeah, they're going to... I mean, if he's back, they're going to have to shoot him up with Tortorol and all sorts of painkillers and stuff so he can, like, have some chance of playing. It's it, not going to be fun. It's not going to be fun, and you would, you know, there, you run the risk of, of damage and injury for the, you know, furthering in the career. It does kind of seem, you know, he's a bit younger than Ronaldo and Messi and stuff, but it, there have been vibes put out that, like, if things go well for him, or if they go really poorly for him, that he could see this as, as his last World Cup for Brazil. Yeah. And so I, I could see him making that decision of like, yeah, let's risk it. Let's go. And that's another narrative to follow, right? If, if, if like a, you know, injured, giving it all for his team and country, Neymar, gets to his position where he could win the World Cup like that. As much as we've been anti-Neymar for a lot of his antics, that's a compelling storyline too. It is. It is. And the Serbians just hacked the shit out of them that game. Yeah, they did. Um, Serbia and Cameroon <laughs> played a hell of a game today. Maybe the most exciting game of the tournament so far. Yes. 
3-3 thriller where basically Serbia came back, or I'm sorry, Cameroon came back from 3-1 down to tie it. My guy, Mitrovic, fucking got his goal. Let's fucking go. Mitro got his goal. It was a cru- crucial goal to help them secure a point that they desperately needed. Um, Cameroon, I believe Andre Onana used to be their goalie, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And they sent Onana home. He had a disagreement with the the manager of Cameroon. Apparently, Cameroon wanted him to hit more long balls, and Onana didn't want to do that. They sent him home. And you got to wonder, would Onana have played a little bit better? Yeah, would he not have let up three goals? Also, Serbia's yeah. defense is trash. Yeah. But they have Mitrovic. But really, really exciting game. Uh, yeah. I think uh, Sergey uh, Sergey Milinkovic Savic also got a goal yep. for for Serbia. That was a uh, another player we had highlighted along with Mitro. Um, yeah. But I mean, Cameroon had no quit either. Like you, you can't. You know, you, you got to give them props too. Down three one, made it made a push, come back. Yeah, absolutely. a lot of fight in 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 this group. Moving on to the. Other game. Brazil, Switzerland. Brazil, Switzerland. It always felt like a matter of when Brazil scored, not if. Yeah. But I do think Switzerland set up really well. Yes. Yes. They defended really well. They, they were they were seven minutes away from getting a zero zero point. Yeah. And it did feel like they they, they, they were going for the draw this whole time out. Yeah. And you just you, I get the idea because like if you try to attack this Brazil team, they will make you pay. But there were moments where Switzerland was able to get numbers on the wing or get numbers in attack where they they posed a threat. And you have to wonder if they try to go for you know a res- the, the full result from the get go. Yeah, they would have conceded goals, but they may have been able to score goals too. And instead of getting a result. The inevitable did happen, and Brazil, with a deflected off the defender's butt, got a one nothing goal from noted goal scorer Casemiro. Casemiro, one of my guys. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You know, Brazil did what they did to get the points, and with that win, they became the second team to then qualify for the knockout rounds. Now, no one from this group is eliminated, mind you. So Brazil's yep. on six points, Switzerland are on three, and Cameroon and Serbia each on one, with Cameroon having a one better goal differential at minus one than Serbia. Cameroon plays Brazil, Serbia <laughs> plays Switzerland. Brazil will either win or tie Cameroon. Brazil should rest their players, I believe. Yes. But this is another scenario of... I like Brazil's second... You know, Especially from a, a midfield and striker perspective, well, from a in a forward perspective, I like Brazil's are unreal. I like Brazil's second and third choice forwards more than almost anybody's first choice forwards. So yeah, I don't see them losing to Cameroon. Now Serbia Switzerland is like yet another one of these awesome playing games where tie or win obviously favors Switzerland, but Serbia with a win will like more likely than not put themselves into the knockout round. So another just so many of these matchups are. So fucking exciting. Oh, a win for Serbia gets them into the knockouts 
unless Cameroon also beat Brazil, at which point Serbia would have to like one or two better the goal differential in their win. So like, yeah, it it's not guaranteed, but it's pretty damn close. And Donnie, this is Serbia, Switzerland. They've met before in the World Cup group stages. Tempers flared. That's a, this is a yellow card over game. Switzerland, as we noted in the preview pod, has at least two players with ties to Albanian descent. Granit Xhaka, Jordan Shakiri. I think both players scored in the 2018 World Cup, and they flashed the Serbian double eagles. And uh, sorry, they flashed the Albanian double eagles, and this caused a bit of an uproar. Serbia and the Albanians don't really like each other, and I, I kind of think Serbia's in the wrong on that one, if I'm not mistaken, because of the massacre of. Oh, but yeah, well, it's probably not good. But certainly, none of these players were involved in it. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. But this is this is a this is a heated on the geopolitical level, um, and it's not the only one of this final match day. More on that in a minute. But I am, as a neutral, this is one of those games I am most excited for. And I'm most excited because this game will deliver the first hat trick of the tournament, and Mitrovic is just <laughs> my king. Also, this might give us uh, this I bet you is where we get our next red card of the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last group. Talk about uh group H. We have Portugal, Ghana, South Korea, Uruguay. Uruguay and South Korea got things off with a 0-0 draw that I did watch. It was the worst game I've ever seen. Objectively. Zero shots on target. No shots on target. <laughs> I would rather go watch the FC Dallas under 14 team play like the Houston Dynamo under 14 team. Done it. I'd rather watch college. To... I'd rather watch college baseball. <laughs> it was a horrific game. And unfortunately, the next game in the group, Portugal Ghana, kind of seemed like it might be going that way. 0 0 through the first half. Boy, did things kick off in the second half. Oh my god. And they kicked off in, shall we say, a bit of a controversial way. Yes. And of course, as we'd expect, Cristiano Ronaldo drew an incredibly (laughs) soft penalty. But a call that he has gotten, like, I will say this. It was soft. Yes. It is a call that he has gotten throughout his entire career. So you kind of have to know a little bit better as a defender that he will always get the benefit of the doubt because of his star power. And can I say the other another point? Yes, you had a very good point on this. Ronaldo scored a goal from play in the first half. Yes. Back of the net, everything. Called off for a foul on Ronaldo shortly before he took possession of the ball to score. Was there contact from Ronaldo on the defender? Yes. Yes. I think there was as much contact from the defender onto Ronaldo in that jostle, and the defender went down super, super easy. Again, a foul we've seen called soft, very soft, and it took away a goal. 
I do not think this penalty call was any softer than the foul on Ronaldo that wiped out the good goal in the first half. Completely agree. Completely agree. And after, and of course, I mean, what does Ronaldo do when a penalty? I mean, he the guy just rams them. I mean, dispatches the penalty. Eight minutes later, it was cool. Real quick, it was cool yes. watching him do the hit the CU uh, yes. celebration and hearing oh, it sounded like the entire stadium do it with him. That that was a moment that just felt cool to watch. Absolutely, hear. absolutely. So then Andre Ayew equalizes. And game's back on, 1-1. Shortly, before, shortly after that, Rafael Leao finally enters the match, which he should start. But Making his World Cup debut. Yep. Jao Felix scores. Two minutes later, Rafael Leao, in his World Cup debut, scores. About nine minutes after that, Ghana scores again, and Portugal hang on to a 3-2. Real quick, the Ghana goal scorer for the, their, their second goal... He hits the CU as a celebration. Yes. And the cameraman working that game deserves a raise because he immediately whipped to Ronaldo to see his reaction. And Ronaldo seemed a bit annoyed. Yeah. Well, he got three and points. He did, but it was that was a that was a that was just a fun Shit you know, that that's that's a bit of the World Cup pageantry of it all, right? Like that sure. was that was fun to see. And they did secure the three points, but boy howdy. Diogo Costa almost cost them yeah. when he put the ball down with a Ghanaian attacker behind him who was like, there was an attack, there was a, a cross put in, Ghanaian attacker went after it, Diogo Costa got the ball, and the attacker just like continues run, you know, behind the goal and was slowly jogging back into play when Costa just puts the ball down to play it, and the guy sprints back, makes a play on it, Diogo Costa basically loses the ball. Another Ghanaian is there. He slips, and the attack comes to nothing. But you do that ten times, that's a that's a Ghanaian goal seven times. Yeah, if not nine. If not nine, yeah. So then, oh, by the way, meme of the tournament is the South Korea lineup where it says it's a commentator's <laughs> nightmare where all four defenders and the goalie's last names are Kim. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. The other meme I, I saw that I did really like uh, was after the uh, Poland uh, Mexico game, where uh, you know when uh, Ochoa saved the penalty, somebody took the Louis Vuitton commercial with Messi and Ronaldo playing chess, and standing over them, watching them both, was just Memo Ochoa. <laughs> yes, that, I did. I see that. I saw that one too. That's, that's another good one. So then. Next game, we have Ghana, South Korea. Ghana go up two goals before... And, and the first goal, definitely on it from a corner against the run of play. Yeah. Yeah. Get the second goal to go up 2-0 at halftime. Cho Gu-sung equalizes, actually hits a brace to ultimately equalize and draw level for South Korea. And then Mohamed Kudas gets his brace a few minutes later... Ghana hangs on through to a 3-2 win despite South Korea's best efforts. After the game, the most jacked coach I've ever seen <laughs> goes to a crying son and takes a selfie with him. Yeah. Um, what the fuck, man? 
first off, this guy was so jacked, he looked like he could have eaten, like, prime jacked Adama Troye. Yes. He was huge. And when you say a crying son, you mean a crying human son, not, like, not a crying somebody's son, you know? <laughs> no, uh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, he just walks up his phone, goes to take a selfie, and, like, son's not even looking at the guy, but, like... That's such a dick move to go up to a player that just lost, you know, one of the biggest games of their career, a World Cup game that's a, you know, a must not lose, really. And they just, like, snag that photo. And it's just like, dude, come on, man. Yeah, it was a dick move. Um, also, something to note going into the last game, South Korea's manager got a red card after the final whistle for protesting that South Korea didn't get to play that last um, free kick, I think. It was a corner kick corner, that should have, like, you know, a couple things, eh, right? Like, oftentimes, if the last play that happens ends in a, in a corner, you usually let that corner play before you blow the whistle. Uh, the guy, there were nine minutes of extra time. He blew the whistle at, uh, like, the, the 100th minute. So, like, he let 10 minutes play, but there was probably more than a minute wasted in stoppage time. Yeah. So, like, I get where he's coming from, but... You got to keep your cool in that, in that in that sense, man. Like you're not doing your team any good. He's not going to reverse his decision at that point, and now they're going to play without their manager. Yeah. Oh, something we we didn't mention the stoppage time at the beginning, but uh, FIFA refs had a real emphasis to make sure that time wasting was not rewarded. So we are seeing like six minutes of stoppage time is the routine. We've seen as much as fourteen, maybe even yeah. A little higher. The fourteen uh, had a, a, the head concussion injury to yeah. the European keeper, but I mean we've seen ten and twelve. Uh, regularly, regularly. I, I, I'm, I'm almost positive I know why. When Qatar paid for this World Cup, they were like, "We're paying this much money for it. We're gonna get every minute." Oh yeah, that makes sense. There's a, the only way FIFA would do this would be if it gets the, if it's uh, a monetary decision. Well, it seems maybe, like uh, club it, soccer it, it, will not be adopting these uh, outrageous amounts of extra time. It's, you know, it's outrageous. I. I don't hate like getting more game played. Sure. When like we do, we do lose more game than we get back with the normal stoppage time. Yes. But also with these games happening like during the workday, like confession time, my boss scheduled a really important call with like a, a new big client for me tomorrow, and I I only blocked off one to three for the U.S. game. So he set it for 3 o'clock, like the minute the World Cup game ends. If we get like a 14-minute stoppage time situation, your boy's got to have a real Sophie's Choice on his hand. Yeah, your boy's going to have to resign. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So second game in this group, Portugal-Uruguay, which was a very exciting game actually, marred by the fact that Uruguay did not bring their shooting boots. No. They they just could could not not score. Finish. And it was a Bruno Fernandes brace that won the day ultimately, and allowed uh, um, Portugal to be the third team to automatically who is going to for sure qualify to the knockout rounds. And the uh, the opening goal for Bruno was one of those primary. It was a cross, oh, but, for sure. the, but the kind that you want to cross it in that like if somebody blunders and nobody touches it, it could go in, right? Yes. It, and he had a streaking Ronaldo streaking in the box, not taking his clothes off. Um, who a centimeter away from getting his head on the ball. Yeah. Uh, but doesn't touch it, but at least, you know, messes with the goalie enough. The goalie's more worrying about, like, Ronaldo's 
header on the ball. He doesn't get the actual ball, and it's untouched, goes in, great goal. Then a penalty's awarded. Ronaldo had been subbed off. Bruno takes it, does that that super, super long stutter, and then a hop step, hop, hop step scores. Uruguay, though, you know, before the, the penalty, for sure, had their chances. Oh, for had sure. Had their opportunities. Brought Suarez on, took off Cavani and Nunez. Nunez, Suarez couldn't do it. Cavani and Nunez couldn't do it beforehand. Think Uruguay kind of waited too long to really push. They didn't. They had way more chances in the second half than they did in the first half, and I, that ended up biting them the ass a little bit. Yeah, and so two games into the World Cup, Uruguay has not scored a goal. So like we said, Portugal is through no matter what on six points. Then you have Ghana on three and South Korea and Uruguay on one. Um, Portugal plays South Korea in which I imagine Portugal may rest some guys, but by resting some guys that might bring me and Rafael Leal start. So that's not necessarily a good thing for South Korea. Well, if they rest their defense, like that's where Portugal's, I think defensive solidarity doesn't have a lot of depth. They've got some attacking talent at fullback, you know, well, they did until the guy that started in front of Guerrero went down. Uh, now that he's in Guerrero, but like, not a bad so, option. No, but not 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 much depth behind that is what no. I meant. So, I, you know, there's a chance that if they do rotate, goals could be had either way. Yeah, and they will be had. But the other game is saucy, is oozing with World Cup history intrigue and controversy. So let's go back to 2010, where. Um, Ghana knocked out the United States in the round of 16 of the World Cup and then played... Still too soon for me. (laughs) Yeah. Fuck Ghana. Um, And then played Uruguay in the quarterfinals. And in that quarterfinal matchup, Ghana had a shot late, late, late in the game that was 1,000% going in the goal. No question about it. The goalie was, I think, on the ground, out, out of the way. Yep. And there was just... A slightly known, but not globally known, Uruguayan striker defending on the goal line. His name, Luis Suarez. And what Luis Suarez did was he blocked the goal from going in with his hand. The referee administered the justice of the game by sending Suarez off and awarding a penalty. Absolutely. On the ensuing penalty, Ghana skied it. And Suarez came back from the tunnel to celebrate on the bench with his team. The game then goes to extra time? Yep. No goals scored? Nope. And we go to penalties? Yep. And Uruguay advance on penalties. Ghana failed to become the first African nation into the World Cup semifinals. Now, people vilified Suarez for what he did. And I personally believe that there was no premeditation. I don't think there's enough time to be premeditated. I think he just did that on instinct, personally. And I think most players would have done the same thing in his position. And I think most fans would want a player to do that for their team in that instance. If this was in, I think, I think the penalty occurred, the, the penalty occurred in stoppage time of regulation. Yes, it was like, like the last dying. Um, if this if this doesn't happen, it's not like they would have a chance to equalize afterwards. Nope. So. He was penalized. Ghana was properly rewarded. It sucks. They, they, they had... It was... 
it wasn't 99% going in. It was guaranteed 3 billion percent going in. And he broke the rules and robbed them of that goal. But they were given the opportunity to rectify it. rectify that. And they failed to convert. So in that sense, you are completely correct. But I do think it is justified that fans of the game, especially fans of Ghana and fans of like the African continent, I do think they are justified in, in, in ascending Suarez to vill- villainy. I agree, That's- but I think that non-fans of Ghana and non-fans of Africa definitely overreacted. Now, Suarez didn't make it any better by celebrating the way he did. And I think that's the crux of the issue. It's well, not what he did on the field so much as the <laughs> jovial celebration on the bench that followed after he'd been sent off. And 12 years later, he did other things that make it even harder for us to not view him as a villain. Yeah, he bit a lot of people. <laughs> Three by my count. Three that we know of. Although my, my I, I I miss you. My my ultimate theory is the way that the community vilified him as a result of those actions. I think he went like, "Well, if I'm gonna be a villain, I'm gonna be the fucking greatest villain the world has ever seen." Yes. And then, in a way, the reaction, the global community's reaction to his handball, I think, is what paved the way for him to bite Chiellini on the world stage in the 2014 World Cup. Yes. And so, yeah, that's, again, Uruguay-Guana, yet another one of those matchups where win or draw, Ghana goes through, Uruguay win, likely they go through, assuming something freaky doesn't happen with South Korea and Portugal. Yeah. And so, with all of that said, we have to hone in our focus to Group B. Eric, where do you want to begin with Group B? Well, let's start with the England-Iran game. Christ. That was a slaughtering. Shit pumping. Yep. 6-2. That is just tough. I mean, everything England did worked. Iran set themselves up in a way that they could never succeed when England were as clinical as they were. If England got a shot on goal, it basically it basically was going in. Um, Iran, important to note, in a defense encounter uh, like team they have, one of their biggest weapons is their arm cannon of a starting goalie. He actually has the world record for the longest throw of a soccer ball during a game. He can throw a ball 60 yards to spring a counterattack. That is so far. It's crazy. You can't even get the same kind of leverage on a soccer ball that you could a football, for example. I don't understand. I don't get it. His hands must be huge. So we saw he, Jose and Jose. He, he, he goes out for an aerial ball, collides the head, his head with the head of a, one of his defenders. Yeah. Dude's, I think, nose broke and clearly concussed. Took 15 minutes to assess the whole situation and get him off. And they have to rely on the second string. And I do think, especially for the England game, that keeper was a key part of, of springing Medi Taremi and their attack. Yep. England looked terrifying in this game. Jude Bellingham looked so good. In his first World Cup start, as a, he's a teenager still, 
scored the opening goal. Looked incredible. Harry Maguire hit the fucking post. Almost scored, I think, their second goal. And then you had uh, Bakayo Saka. I think I think he scored a brace, if I'm not mistaken. He did. Uh, Harry Kane didn't score, but had two assists. Sterling scored. Rashford scored. Fuck, yeah. even the dead corpse of Jack Rowler scored. Yeah. yeah. KDB's still getting over that loss. <laughs> to Iran's credit, and not really their credit, even in a, even when your team's getting drubbed, Taremi still gets his cookies. Yeah. You know, it was, it's a 6-2 scoreline, right? So those two got to come from somewhere. And uh, Mehdi Taremi, dude is a fucking striker, man. He's so good. He is so good. He's scoring for Porto in the Champions League. He's scoring for Porto in the Portuguese League. And he's scoring in World Cup games against England. So, yeah. I, I think we had the kind of a similar thought where that game with the goalkeeper in- injury, England looked better than they actually are in that game. And Iran looked worse than they actually are. They're, they're, they both kind of... It, it flattered England that game, and it made yeah. Iran look worse than they are. They're both a little bit more closer than and, that. And I think flatter, uh, important to differentiate. Not that like that scoreline was better than how they played. England played like they they played like they deserved to win 6-1, right? Agreed. But I think yeah, what we said, England will never play better this tournament than they did that game. Yes. And Iran will never play worse at this tournament than they did that game. Yes, that's exactly what we're saying. And we'll we'll bring that back up when we hit the second uh, second day of games. But we do have to move to the highly anticipated game we've been waiting for since the draw was announced in April. USA Wales. Donnie, what a first half it was. For 45 minutes, I was so happy. Wales you know. were doing nothing. We dominated. The, we dominated play. I mean, it was all we got. Traffic. We got Tim Ream as the starter. We had the MMA midfield. We had Destin Robinson as the fullbacks, and we had Pulisic, Wea, and Sargent as our front three. Outside of a few things here or there, not much to complain about from a personnel standpoint. Agreed. And the tactics seemed to be working. Wales did not have a sniff on goal. Uh, Bale couldn't do a single thing. He was a ghost. He was a ghost. And in one brilliant move, Sargent chests a ball a little bit past midfield down in a, in a, a crafty bit of hold-up play. Pulisic takes it, goes on a run, and springs Wea, who's on a run. And Wea, with a, with a deft, you know, outside-the-boot touch, Beats Hennessy, USA go up one nothing, and we're like I think thirty eight minutes into the game. Things seemed really really dope at that point in time. Half halftime comes and Wales were were be- were begging for halftime at this point. We they couldn't trouble us. We were looking great. A little concerning. The only actual USA shot on goal was the gold score by Wea. There was an earlier um, like almost own goal attempt that Hennessy had to, had to prevent, and Sargent had a header off the post, but those aren't USA shots on goal. And we texted one another saying that the one thing that the United States could not do was take their foot off the gas and let Wales get back into the game. They had to 
slam on the throttle, and um, basically cross the board and end the game. Get the second goal. Get the second goal, finish it off. That is ha- not how the United States chose to play in the second half. Wales did the tactics in the second half. They brought on Kiefer Moore. They started pushing things up towards him as a release valve and bypassing a lot of the uh, trouble that our midfield was given their midfield and progressing and advancing the ball. They took the attack to us and Greg seemed un... Either he wasn't able to anticipate the tactical changes they were made. It was like he was thinking that Wales was going to come out and play the same 45 they just did by where they got dominated. And when we saw the shifts and change, he didn't seem able to adjust in the actual live game of it. We very clearly were being dominated and waited forever to make substitutions. Gio Reyna did not get substituted on. on. We brought on... Jordan fucking Morris at one point over Gio Reyna when we wanted to generate some attack. But all it boils down to was a moment that just screamed MLS. Yeah, with Gareth Bale was in the U.S. box with his back to goal. Walker Zimmerman had supporting players coming to help him. Instead of doing the normal thing, which would be to wait for the supporting players to get there, stand them up, and then let Bale have to then turn, beat you, beat your support, and beat Turner. He just decided to slide tackle right through the back of him. Literally no chance at winning the ball. None. I mean, unless like your leg could phase through Bale's leg without making contact and particle by particle put itself together on the other side. Take Bale out in the box. I mean... There is no question that that was a penalty to me. Absolutely. I mean, it, 100, 10 out of t- 99 out of 100 times, that's called a penalty, and the one time the ref fucked it up. Or he's on the take. Or he's on the take. And Gareth Bale is not what he once was, but he's still good enough to fucking score a penalty. He's going to score a penalty, especially when his, when his country needs it. And, and you know, even though Wales took it to us in the second half. We didn't have a, a single shot on goal in the second half. We only had one all game, and that was the goal scored. Even though all that, they had a, they had an opportunity, a dangerous moment here or there. They had one goal score, one legit goal scoring chance, and that was the gift wrap penalty that Walker Zimmerman handed Gareth Bale. Converts one one, and that's two points dropped by the United States. No other, no other way about it. Incredible first half tactics set up. Almost everything great, except did not create enough opportunities, not enough shots on goal, and you don't you don't take advantage of your superior play. You get punished. Yeah, ask Germany. Ask Walker Zimmerman. So that was not fun. A lot of people, um, you know, want to be happy about the goal, be happy about the first half, and you know, talk about well, we didn't lose, and that's the important thing is don't lose your first game, and then you're 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 kind of good to go, right? Iran got pumped, but like, guys, you, you if you've got three points, you can't give two back. Not only that, but 
you have to have standards. Being okay with a draw against fucking whales is not... That's, that's accepting mediocrity. That is not a commitment to something better. We were the better team in the first half. A competent coach would have put in Gio Reyna in the second half, stepped on the throttle, killed the game off. Instead, we have to play an MLS player, and he made an MLS mistake. He was the only MLS guy who started. Yeah, and I mean, does the top-performing defender in the Scottish Premier League, Cameron Carter-Vickers, make that mistake? Hard to say that he doesn't make mistakes somewhere else, but... I don't see him making that costly, that boneheaded, that stupid of of, of a mistake. And again, as good as the first half was, and to your point, we generated one shot on target the entire game. We are not creating enough good chances under Greg's system, and that's a problem we had during World Cup qualifying. That's a problem since since he's been the coach. And guys, he was fired from that... um, uh, was it an Icelandic team, uh, Midtjylland, when he was a manager, or maybe they're a Danish team or something? There was some European team in like the second division. He was fired from there because he, he I believe the, the the terms were he's tactically unaware of how to create offense. Yeah, we saw it. We saw it here. I so think- we leave. We leave tied. We leave the first day tied for second in the group with Wales, with England sitting pretty up top. Moving into a, the second match day, the morning game that day. And this is, and by the way, for everyone who was happy with the 1-1 draw, this is why it was such a bad result. Because you, you can't control what other teams are going to do next. And we start off with Iran, Wales. Iran dominate Wales from the start. Only thing they can't do is finish. They had one sequence where they hit two posts and a rebound would, fell right to the keeper. Um, and it was just like, how is Iran continuously getting this unlucky? How are Wales continuing to, to stay alive in this? And the answer was they were borrowing luck from later in the game to get them through the early game because around the 80th minute, Wayne Hennessy takes out as uh, Asmund, Asmond. I'm not pronouncing his name correctly, but the uh, Iranian striker forward from Bayer Leverkusen. Yeah. Gets red carded. Yep. <laughs> right, rightfully so. Yep. And in the ensuing 10 minutes or so, uh, 11 minutes, 12 minutes into stoppage time, Iran get the winner. And then, the, and then the gravy goal. strike. A saucy strike. And then they get the gravy goal. Um, Taremi with another assist in this one, by the way. Important to note, uh, Ali Reza Jahan Bash for Iran got his second yellow in this game, so he will not be at the U.S. game. I believe he's the number seven, I believe. Yeah. So, you know, you don't, you don't get the number seven on a national team in a World Cup uh, by being, like, an unimportant player to your team. Well, unless you're Giorino. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. <laughs> well, Fuck. should we talk about that real quick? Or do we talk about it after we talk about England? After England. Let's, okay. let's, let's hit England, yeah. So that's why the draw was so costly. Because all of a sudden, with us facing England, Iran now has three points. They're in it now. They are in, they are in pole position for the second place in the group. Yeah. And we take on England in, in an incredibly hyped-up, amped-up matchup. Going into this game, we could not be eliminated from contention. 
We could not secure uh, advancement, but we could do you know some things to maybe set us up in a slightly less shitty position going into the final day. Yeah. Um, we played really well against England. Um, I would say we were the better team personally. This at the end when the whistle blew on a zero zero draw, USA and England. Once again, it was a draw where it felt like we left points on the table. Now, not nearly as frustrating for several reasons. England are a much much better team than Wales. Yes. So way you know, you can stomach that. We didn't have one boneheaded move that gave the points from us to the opponent. Yes. And yeah, we we played really well from like the 15th minute all the way until the 70th minute. We controlled the game. Musa, McKinney, and Adams completely owned Bellingham, Rice, and Mason Mount. Yeah. Likewise, um, Sean and Trippier were non-factors offensively because they had to deal with our fullback tandem, who has been very good in both games, in Jedi, yes. Robinson, and Serginho Dest. Who, Serginho Dest has been really, really good this World Cup. Really good. He had that one run. I thought he was going to score. That one run into the box. I, I started humming to myself, when the Yanks... I was literally like, so my, we were at a, uh, like a brunch place, sports brunch place with some TVs in it in San Antonio. And like, I, that run, like my dad was sitting next to me, like kind of in front of me and I grabbed his shoulders thinking like, <laughs> let's fucking go. This guess is going to score. Um, we had the Pulisic crossbar. You had a great chance by McKinney that he hit over the goal. Um, a crossball fell to McKinney. The only problem was it fell to his feet, not to his head. Yeah. If that was head height, that was a goal. And you know what? Had we done our job in the Wales game, not had the boneheaded penalty, got three points, got this one point, sitting on four points the way we played, I'd be speaking a much more optimistic tune right now. Yeah. But people instead want to accuse me of dwelling in the past by focusing on the Wales game and how that result relates to the U.S.'s current position. That's not focusing on the past. That's just choosing not to ignore 33.3% of the group. It's also focusing on our our, our current reality. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Before we move off, I do want to say two points. I think six or nine minutes into the game, Harry Kane had the ball fall to him in the box, and he had a strike that was going dead on net. Walker Zimmerman made a great block to stop us going down one nothing early and probably taking us out of the game immediately. So props to him there. He did at the end of the game have a really boneheaded turnover that, almost, that, that resulted in a Harry Kane uh, wide header that you know, kind of got to stop with those boathead decisions into the game walker. Um, but once again, Donnie, a full game. We outplay our opponent for almost all of the game, play really, really well. Greg set the team up defensively with a, like, more, basically a 4-4-2 a four, a four, um, that frustrated England's midfield and ability to build. But all the tactical, you know, brilliances that he had, we had one shot on goal. Again. Again. We have two shots on goal this tournament. Yeah. Again, it's the problems with his rigid adherence to his system. Something's just not not right. Like, the offense isn't there. We have talented offensive players who are who in open spaces are playing well. But it's, I think it's comes down to it. It's, it's verticality that Greg loves on the wings. He wants his wide players to press the spaces wide. 
it's almost like he doesn't want us advancing and, and attacking through the middle. And we end up in a position where we whip balls in. When you're when you've got offensive talent like Christian Pulisic, Timothy Weah, if you wanted to play him, Gio Reyna, if you wanted to play him, Brendan Aronson, these are guys that can create in tight spaces. They can quick one two passing moving. And they can put good shots on goal, but what they can't do is win headers. But your system is basically get the ball deep on the wings and whip a ball into the box. And hey, two guys who would have been really good at striking, at kind of being the number nine in that system, were two guys we left home, Pepe and Peabock. Absolutely. And, and but like, honestly, even if we did bring those guys and we're playing them, like my Christmas would still be the same. Pepe and Peabock are not your better attackers than Pulisic and Weya and Great. Reyna. Let's get the ball in the most dangerous situations to them when they're best, which is at their feet or in space, yeah. not out to the wings and whipping an aerial ball in. Okay. Here's where we stand. England are on top of the group on four points. Iran are in second on three points. USA are in third on two points. And Wales are in last on one point. Wales and England play tomorrow as well as Iran and the United States. More likely than not, we can... Unless something, like with a lot of these matchups, unless something freaky happens, we'll assume England gets a win or draw against Wales. Yeah, yeah. So Iran and USA have a, yet another one of those knockout round-style matches where the draw significant, where Iran can play for a draw, and obviously a win does it too, and the USA now has to win. Now, kind of before we dive into the ins and outs of that Iran-USA matchup, like Eric said, Gio Reyna has only played 10 minutes at this World Cup, and he's not hurt, so I don't really understand why one of our most talented players is not seeing the field, especially when we are struggling to come up with offense. So, like, for the last few weeks and last, like, month or two for Dortmund, he was getting 45 to 75 minutes of game time. Like, yeah. he's on a minutes, he's on a minutes regiment. And I know that, that the U.S. want to work in tandem with Dortmund to respect that. But part of that minutes regiment was to make sure that he's good to go and healthy for this World Cup. And like I said, they were regularly giving him 45 to 75 minutes. So if you don't want to start him, if you're like, well, we want him for the World we want him to go beyond the group stage, and we also don't want to injure him further, so that's why we're not doing this, and Greg's on the right. Fine, I can understand an argument for the starting eleven, but a guy that clearly has proved he can go forty-five and more in the Bundesliga, surely, surely can be your first or second offensive sub when goals are needed. Yeah, when he's arguably the most talented, skillful player on your team. Yeah, you think Dest, others think Pulisic. It's one of those three, and there's a good argument for all three. Yeah, I mean. I agree with everything you said. It's just it's perplexing why against Wales we're bringing on Jordan Morris instead of Gio Reyna. And at this point, you cannot, you know, not losing isn't good enough now. No. You skated by not losing for two games. Now you have to win against Iran. You have to win against a team that's going to park the bus and look to hit and look to have Taremi do something magical on the counter. And that, not only are they going to do that for this game, that's their 
their ideal scenario when they enter a competitive national international game. That's and, what they want to do. And they're entering a scenario where that absolutely is the strategy that they're going to use because it, the situation plays to that strength. It plays to that strength and they are built for it more than they're built for anything else. Yeah. And you better believe they've watched tape on us in World Cup qualifiers. We struggle away from home against teams that park the bus in that low block and hit on the counter. We seem to have a lot of problems in this Burhalter system in those exact scenarios. You cannot break down teams who just hide behind the ball. We have struggled against those, we've, we've those teams that we've struggled against didn't have Medi Taremi. And they had and they they had worse defenders. The US has played eight third match group stage games. They are one for seven in those eight. Counterpoint, I think almost all of our third game group stage third game group stage get matches, most of them haven't mattered that much. Fair. But that's a terrifying stat. I feel ill when thinking about the game that is going to be upon us in 13 hours and 38 minutes. 12 hours and 38 minutes. Math is hard. If this were a case where both teams had to win the game, I would feel very unusually confident for me that we were going to win. If both teams had to win. Yeah. What gives me a lot of pause is that Iran can play for the draw and barring something absolutely freaky, like I've said, with Wales and England, that could be good enough to send them yep. into the knockout rounds. I, I, I would say we have slightly worse than a coin coin tosses odds at getting through. We have we have to score early. If we go into half without a lead, I don't know if we can break down this team. Yeah, I, I agree. I think an early goal will force Iran to open up, and then we will play a game that is much, much better for us instead of playing their game. I I give us a little bit of a better chance at qualifying. Um, if for nothing else, just given the large amount of distractions that are now surrounding this game. Um, so... Last week, English reporters were asking the Iranian players questions like, given what's going on in your crunch country and their treatment of women, you know, will you guys celebrate when you score? And kind of questions like that that really don't have anything to do. It, it, not only they don't have anything to do with the game, what a stupid fucking question. Yeah. Guys who, by protesting the anthem and other, and other messages sent, have clearly been supportive from the most part of the protests going on in Iran or so you're clearly playing for your people. Are you going to celebrate the biggest goal of your life and career? Yes, of course they are. Like, come yeah. on. And so this is after in the first game against England, not a single player of the national team sang the national anthem, but then against game two in Wales, they all did because they were literally all threatened that something could happen to their families if they didn't do it. Which I think yes. a lot of people take for granted, like the dilemma that these players face. 
when making a statement could literally be the death and kidnapping and torture of their loved ones. Yeah. Um, kind of a high stake, so to speak, for a gesture. Um, then things, and so that wasn't really widely reported by mm-hmm. the U.S. media. Then the U.S. men's soccer social media team, without consulting the players, the team, Greg, decided to post uh, an image of the kind of the group flags, the situation we're at, doctoring the Iranian flag, taking out the center symbol, which means Allah, God. So kind of in a two-for-one, both desecrating the flag and the religion of most of the inhabitants of Iran. Iran took exception to that and then proceeded to berate Burhalter and Tyler Adams with questions that are likewise, compl- more probably, in fact, out of bounds, asking about, uh, asking Greg Berhalter about a naval ship so, that's in the Persian so Gulf. Yeah, I think there's 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 two people, like two different questions. One, the questions for Greg Berhalter were wild. A reporter asked Greg why he hasn't like put pressure on the U.S. Navy to remove a naval ship's posting in the uh, in, in one of the seas near. Iran. They also asked him to give his thoughts about like the U.S. government's policies in causing high inflation in the United States. Like, and his and Greg's response to be to be fair was he like kind of bamf for a little bit and then said, "I'm a soccer coach." <laughs> yeah, dude, the guy can barely put two shots on target. In a World Cup, do you think he knows anything about complex geoforum policy? Or inflation, or the mathematics of inflation? <laughs> then Tyler Adams was asked, you know, what is it like to be... First, he was criticized for mispronouncing Iran by calling it Iran, which was really nitpicky in my opinion, um, neither here nor there. And, and it, was the way, it was the way the criticism was also... Delivered. It, it, did, it did feel pretty, like, attacking and, like, gotcha. Then... Followed up with, as a black player, how do you feel representing a country that has such a history and current um, pattern of discriminating against black people? And credit to Tyler Adams. He gave, I'm not going to try to paraphrase it because I'll butcher it. Yeah. But if you look up his answer to the question, he started out by apologizing for the mispronunciation, then gave an incredible answer to about how discrimination is everywhere and it's important to always keep learning, which he then tied back like I just learned. It was a very poised answer yeah. for someone well beyond his years. His 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 apology seemed earnest about like mispronouncing Iran. Then his answer about like how he kind of feels representing the United States felt really thought out and like he's given this topic thought before. Uh, but the coup de grace for me was when he titled back to education is really important in this, like you just educated me on the proper pronunciation of your country. It was just like, and he was so level-headed, so well thought out, well-spoken. Watching that video was just confirmation of what a lot of us, you know, knew going in. This guy is captain material of national team. Yes. And Iran's captain, Ali Reza Jafan Bosch, likewise actually gave some pretty good answers some of the shithousery questions that the English media asked him. Our point being that the English media is in the wrong. The U.S. men's national team social shouldn't have doctored the flag. The Iranian journalists asking these questions are in the wrong. 
all of this is just creating a bunch of shithousery and distracting everyone from the fact that both nations have a pivotal soccer game in yeah. front of them, and this is all distracting from that. Although, I will say, when's, when's the last time the U.S. You know, Soccer Federation didn't make a decision that like hindered or, or fucked over their national teams? When they hired Jurgen Klinsmann. Um, so like, who also had yeah. some interesting things to say yeah. about Iranian soccer. So everyone's off the rails right now. Oh, and then and then they they were putting pressure on Berhalter, being like, "Do you, you know, will, will you will you like admit or do you believe that Jurgen Klinsmann was uh, starting psychological warfare with Carlos uh, Kroos, uh, the manager of Iran?" And, and Berhalter was like, "He's on radio. He's on TV. Like, if you want to know what his thoughts are, you have to ask him. On, you got to ask him. Like." I'm he's like I'm just a soccer coach. Yeah, um, but I give us a little bit better than a coin flips chance. I give us a sixty three percent chance. For, so, for me, I'm just saying if I were putting odds together, I would give a slightly under. Let's go forty eight percent chance. I personally believe we will get a two one victory. Yeah, and we will advance. I think we will. And then we're going to go up one nothing. Yep. I think it's going to get drawn level at 1-1. Yep. And I think we're going to, with a set-piece goal, Weston McKinney, 2-1. And then we'll be holding on for our dear lives. Iran probably hit the post. Oh, God. We'll break on the counter. We'll have a perfect opportunity. We'll miss the target. And eventually, it'll peter out to a 2-1 U.S. win. I, I do believe we go through. But I think from like a stats perspective from tactics perspective the odds are slightly not in our favor well should we actually see what the vegas odds are sure speaking of odds yeah yeah yeah. you know when i had said this it would have been really uh smart of me to have that um prepared <laughs> instead of looking for it so this is what we call in the podcast intricacy just vamping and um just kind of wasting time for me to pull this up but you know what would really make me happy tomorrow? Obviously, just um, winning the game would make me happy. At, at that point, beggars can't be choosers. But I do feel like we are due for a fullback goal. Anthony Robinson goal? Anthony Robinson, Serginho Dest, take your pick. Okay. Uh, if you're trying this up, is your ideal scenario one of them assists the other on a goal? Yes. that Fullback to fullback, I would be rock hard. The cross and then the one-time volley from like the top of the box. Cross from Dest, volley from Jedi. So, Iran to win, plus 300. The game ending in a draw, plus 240. And USA to win, minus 105. So, okay. Vegas clearly likes the uh, USA win. A little bit more, a lot more than the Iran win, and a lot more than the draw, but but collectively a little bit more than the Iran win or draw. Yes, which is where I come to my sixty-three percent. Yeah, and you know Vegas usually. So what that tells me, Vegas doesn't get most things way off. It's gonna be close either way, guys. Yeah, it it is gonna be a lot closer than I'm comfortable with, and a lot closer than it would be if we had taken care of business against Wales. Absolutely. So, the next time we podcast to talk about the round of 16, we're either going to be so happy that the U.S. is a part of it, or it is going to be just a colossal kick to the dick.
Yeah, it's going to be a Friday night taping, Saturday morning release, and we'll be in person. Yes, first in-person pod in a while. I'll be seeing you soon, my friend. But yeah, I mean, it's squeaky bum time. Nuts on the table, boys. Um, Real quick, before we, we sign off. Knowing that Greg is going to play a true nine in his formation, which means you can't move Weah to the nine to make room for Reyna or Aronson. Right. So in the confines of Greg's 4-3-3, who, where, who you, what are you going with? Like whole, you per- whole lineup? So Turner, obviously. Uh, I think it's going to be the same back four because it's been the same back four. Yeah, but would you, would you, you would put CCB in over yes. there. I would too. But, but I, to, to, I think our credit, we probably would have started the tournament with CCB. We would have, we would have, yeah. Yeah, those so four. And then midfield, Greg will stick with MMA. Yes, but I would not. You would move. I would put in Aronson for Musa. And I would have Adams be the lone pivot with McKenney and Aronson able to press up higher because they're going to need to help break down. Slightly more advanced eights with Adams as the, the, the six back. And then your front three. Um, oh, I'm in the confines, so I can't just start Reyna. So within Greg's confines that he has to play a nine, who's a proper nine. So I can't play away as a striker. You cannot play away as a striker, as I, we both would do in this situation. Uh, I would play Weya and um, Pulisic on the wings. I would start Josh Sargent. And Gio Reyna would come on no later than the 60th minute. Yeah. Probably, if I'm not liking what I'm seeing from the wings, Gio Reyna comes on at halftime. Yeah, I But, I agree. hot take, I think Greg might start Jesus Ferreira. I think so too because I think he's going to want Ferreira in like the build-up combination play, which is why uh, Weya would be perfect in that nine spot. And, and then you, you can, can play Reyna and Pulisic. You get Reyna, Pulisic, Aronson, McKinney, Adams. I've seen a lot of internet geniuses, and I say that in quotes, talk about benching McKinney to make room for Aronson. Wild move. And I know he missed the frame on two of his attempts against – England, and he got tired a little bit in the end of the Wales game before he subbed off. But he didn't—he was not tired when he got subbed off against England, and he was—he played an incredible game against England. Yeah, our entire midfield did. I don't understand how you could see that performance and think, "Yeah, that guy should not be on the field in a must-win game for the team." You and I are of one mind on this, my friend. So, this is tonight's gonna suck. Tomorrow yeah. all day is gonna suck. This has been such a long podcast because I don't want to go to bed and just think about the game. Yeah, but um, we will be back uh, in a few days and recapping it all. You know our socials: Twitter, Instagram, OwnGoalPod. You can email us OwnGoalPod at gmail But we will be back soon, God willing. Not completely devastated. Yeah, hopefully this will be a happy podcast. But on that note, bye. To the byline. It's in, it's in our goal! It's a gift! Well, he's almost done well to get that in because he's ahead of the near post. It's almost behind him. Sticks his left leg out. It almost hits his heel. 
and goes straight into the bottom of the corner, bottom corner of the net. Gets ahead of the ball, it's the inside of his car. Got no chip to the keeper. Astonishing position to get the 